0: I was thinking about what I might share with you this morning, being just two days from Christmas, there might be the natural tendency to think that I would depart from our regular messages on the work of wisdom, and I certainly thought about that because I have presented special messages before regarding Christmas, regarding the birth of Christ. But the more I thought about what I might give to you by way of a message this morning, I began to think about the concept of wisdom itself as personified in the person of Christ. And as I began to ponder those great things about Christ, one of the things that stood out in my mind was the reality that Jesus Christ is the essence of wisdom. I have quoted for you a number of times that wonderful passage in Colossians chapter 2 that says, In Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is a tremendous statement about the wisdom of Christ. All of the wisdom, all of the divine knowledge of God is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought to myself, why depart from what we've been talking about as regarding wisdom when I can just talk about wisdom and all of us can see it personified in the glorious nature of Jesus Christ our Savior. Indeed, I began to look through the Scripture and I began to find a series of statements that speak of Jesus Christ and the matter of wisdom. In fact, look back at Luke chapter 2. I want you to see a couple of statements about Jesus Christ and this matter of wisdom. In Luke chapter 2, we find just after the selected portion of Luke 2 that I read to you for our scripture reading, a story about Simeon. We also talked about that at our Christmas concert series. And in verse 25, it says, "...there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, that is, in the control of the Spirit, into the temple." And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. In other words, you told me that you would not allow me to see death until I would see your Christ, your Messiah, and I have seen him, now I can depart. He says further, For my eyes have seen your salvation. An amazing statement about a little baby that he was holding in his arms and yet saying, I have seen the salvation of Israel. He goes on to say, Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. A great statement about us as non-Jews. And the glory of your people Israel. In other words, the plan of God for salvation includes, includes both Jews and Gentiles. And his father, verse 33, and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Wouldn't you be if you were mom and dad to this child? What's going on here? What's being said about our baby, this Jesus? Why are they saying such wonderful, magnanimous things about him? And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, "'Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel.'" and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And I'm sure at that point they're saying, we do not understand. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84 And then notice this statement, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. When they had performed everything, that is the parents, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child, capital C, Christ, the child continued to grow and become strong. And notice this, increasing in wisdom. Now, beloved, there are a lot of things that could be said about Christ as he was growing. But the one thing that Luke records under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was that he was increasing in what? Wisdom. I think that's important for us as we talk about wisdom. Jesus Christ was becoming strong, physically that is, and also spiritually, mentally, increasing in wisdom. And I love this, and the grace of God was upon him. Look at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus, he's an older boy now, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Apparently they had a caravan of people. They had probably animals and a number of family members. By this time, Mary had given birth to other children. It would be like the Quinn family. There's just no way of knowing who's with us and who's not. We've actually left a couple of children at the church, going home blissfully ignorant, having to come back and pick them up. One time, we left our son Logan here on a Sunday night, and when we were at Jason's Deli, although my daughter Lexa, who's four years old, continues to call it Jason's Belly, we were at Jason's Belly, and we were eating, and all of a sudden, almost in unity, my wife and I looked at each other and said, Where's Logan? And so I was given the task of coming back to the church and I tried to locate him and I couldn't. Find him. The whole place was dark, all the doors were closed. Thankfully I had a key. I came in. I looked for him to see if he was on the couch, on the couch in the office center there sleeping or if he was in a pew sleeping. Couldn't find him. I finally then went to the house and there was a note there that said, "Dear Dad, this is Logan. Why didn't you wait for me at the church?" I'm so sad. The shavers had compassion upon me, taking me to their house and feeding me since you wouldn't. Please come and pick me up. Signed, Logan. So I went over to the shavers and I picked him up and we had a chat about staying with your family. And I'm sure that this is the same kind of thing. As they were returning they went on this trip to Jerusalem and now were returning to their place and they didn't find him. And not a, an evening like I experienced, but verse 46, then after three days, they found him in the temple. And I could imagine that a Jewish mother and father were, were uh, quite upset, don't you? Three days, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now that should be a lesson to all children. Whether they're homeschooled, or public school, or private school, or private Christian school, this is what you ought to be doing, listening and asking questions, right? In verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, and I'm sure that this is understated in our English Bibles, "'Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you.'" That was a very gracious way of saying to him, "'Where have you been? It's been three days.'" And he said to them in, again, very understated fashion, "'Why is it that you were looking for me?' (laughs) Why, why were you looking for me? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you're our son. Uh, maybe we like you occasionally. Maybe it's a good thing that you help us clean around the house. Maybe we'd like to continue that. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Wow. This is a, this is a different son. This is, this is a different son but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and lest anybody think he was a wild or rebellious child going his own way, it says, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She knew something was up. She knew this was a special child. But then notice verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We normally say about this, this is a four-way growth. He's increasing spiritually, that's wisdom. In stature, that's physically. In favor with God, now that's a spiritual direction. And men, that's a social direction. Wisdom mentally, stature physically, favor with God spiritually, man socially. He was a full-orbed person. He kept increasing in wisdom to the point where the Apostle Paul says about him in Colossians 2 that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside in this Christ. And it started here, even as a young person. He kept increasing in wisdom. And that's exactly what we have been occupied with in Proverbs chapter 2. Turn there, Proverbs chapter 2. That's what's been occupying our minds, and we see it so clearly, so wonderfully stated about the person of Christ. Whether he was a young person, whether he was an older boy, whether he was a young man, whether he was 30 years old or 33, he was the personification of the pursuit of wisdom. He was always learning, always growing, in fact, even in Hebrews 5 8, it says, although he was a son, read by that God, although he was God in human flesh, although he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He learned. And if the Son of God, especially as a young person, if the Son of God is all about learning and growing and pursuing wisdom, is there any reason to think that we can't learn and grow and the desire and the motivation for that growth like Jesus Christ. That's who we're to aspire to be. That's why John says in 1 John uh, that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you ought to walk as He walked. And how did He walk? He kept increasing in wisdom to the point where, as the Son of God, to die on that cross and to be ascended to the Father, having accomplished the work that the Father had set out for Him to do, He, in His own person, resided all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It may even be that I could say, rather than go through each of these verses in all of these Proverbs, just look at Jesus Christ, just study His life, just look at who He was, just see all of the wisdom that exuded from His lips. But, we are going to go through these Proverbs, because they are important for us, because they give us great insight into what Jesus Himself studied, because He was the Son of the Law. He was bar mitzvah. He was a, a, a person in that Jewish culture who imbibed the entire law of God, who studied the law, who looked at this wisdom. He was the one in whom Solomon could say, if you want a son who is a follower of the law, look at him. Look at him. My son, follow this wisdom. Imbibe this wisdom. Learn of this wisdom. And if Jesus Christ were there in Solomon's day, he would say, and this is the, the, the personification of that wisdom. Live like Him. This is, this is what Proverbs teaches us. You remember in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20-33, to 33, we talked about the warning of wisdom. And now in Proverbs chapter 2, we're talking about the work of wisdom. And this is what I'm emphasizing. The idea that even Jesus Christ Himself, even as a young man, He pursued wisdom. He increased in wisdom. He, he both listened to them and He asked questions from them. He was learning and growing because he wanted to work for it. Because he had, he had a desire to, to see the wisdom of God. He had a desire to be intimate with God. And this is what Proverbs can show us. It can show us how we can also work for wisdom. We've gone all the way through Proverbs chapter 2 in its entirety. But I also told you that there is every opportunity for us to find out other Proverbs that speak to us of this work of wisdom. We can't necessarily exposit every single proverb, especially from chapters 10 on, because they appear in such verse-by-verse fashion that they don't always connect so that you can do consecutive verse-by-verse exposition. But if you look at the Proverbs, if you read the Proverbs, then every once in a while a verse will stand out to you that speaks of pursuing the wisdom of God like you're pursuing nothing else. And we need to find out where those verses are. And if you're like me, you want to principalize those verses. You want to come up with a principle from those verses that tell you how to work for wisdom, maybe even where Proverbs 2 doesn't go into that much detail. Last time I told you that there were five principles that I saw even apart from chapter 2 that give us this sense of the work of wisdom and I gave two of them to you didn't I The first one was this The work of wisdom that is the pursuing of wisdom the motivation to to seek this wisdom in your life the work of wisdom must be the greatest effort of your life It must be the greatest effort of your life. In other words, don't pursue anything like you would pursue the gaining of wisdom. Pursue it as the greatest effort of your life. Secondly, I told you that the work of wisdom allows the worker, the worker of that wisdom, the gainer of that wisdom to be exalted and honored. To be exalted and honored. And I shared with you several proverbs that speak of this and say that if you work toward gaining, apprehending, comprehending, applying wisdom in your life, then these Proverbs, and I shared with you which ones they were, they say that you will be exalted, you will be honored, you'll be blessed. And those two principles are major league principles for us in the matter of gaining the wisdom of God. And we saw those very carefully. There are three other principles that I see from some of the other Proverbs that speak to us of the work of wisdom, and I want to give them to you this morning. Number three. Number three. The work of wisdom far exceeds any other earthly pursuit. The work of wisdom far exceeds any other earthly pursuit. You say, well, how is that different from number one? Number one is from the angle of you pursuing wisdom as the greatest effort of your life. In other words, it's subjective. It's telling you what you must do. This particular principle tells you what is the pot at the end of the rainbow once you do what you need to do. This is the spiritual booty. This is what we've talked about in chapter 2. If you seek her as silver, and if you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you'll discover the fear of the Lord and understand the knowledge of God. That's what that is saying, and here are some other Proverbs that say the same thing. Look in your Bibles at Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. This is the work of wisdom. And here's what God says is at the end of that rainbow. Here it is. All of that work you've been doing, all of that Bible study you've been accomplishing, all of that study that you've been involved with, whether, whether it's a Bible study with other Christians, whether it's on your own, whether it's coming here for a worship service, whether you are doing anything related to biblical studies and you are working hard at it to gain God's wisdom, here's what it says is this pursuit. Listen, verse 6. For I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. This is wisdom talking. This is, again, the personification of wisdom as though it's a person. That's where we receive that word, personification. Uh, It's as though we're taking an inanimate thing or a concept and we're attaching to it a person. Uh, The Bible does that, say, for instance, with regard to the concept of sin. Sometimes you read in the Bible and you read about the concept of sin and it's as though a person is really the embodiment of that sin. Uh, That's what it says about Cain, remember? It says... the, the sin of your life is crouching at the door. It's almost like uh, there's a person at the door, a burglar, a robber, and it's really the personification of sin. That's what wisdom is here. Wisdom is saying, listen, for I, a person, I, wisdom, will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth, wisdom's mouth, will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. It's, again, contrasting good and evil. And verse 8, all the utterances of my mouth, wisdom's mouth, are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And it's this black and white. Here's the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is right and righteous and true and favorable and good. And the evil of man is that which is bad, unrighteousness, It is not straightforward, it is not available to him who doesn't understand, and it is bad to those who find it. That's that evil, that's the contrast. And then verse 10, take my instruction, wisdom says, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. And there's that contrast again, by way of an analogy. Uh, The analogous statement is, look, as you are pursuing gold and silver, as so many people are wont to do, then look. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all, notice this, all desirable things, all the things that people, human beings in this life, sinful individuals, all desirable things cannot compare with her, with wisdom. You know why the young boy, Jesus, was in the temple? Because he had a thirst. He had a hunger. And he believed that the place where he was going to be taught in the most optimum way was in that temple with those religious leaders by both listening to them and asking them questions. That's why he was there even at the potential expense of the confusion and the hurt of his parents. He was following the greater parent, his own heavenly father. It could be said of Jesus Christ in that temple experience that he was taking instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choices gold for the wisdom that he was receiving and giving was better than jewels, and he realized that all desirable things, even that which would have been right or best in somebody else's eyes, couldn't have been compared with what he was doing. It was all about his father's business. In fact, it was such a radical thing that that's why his parents said, we don't understand. We, we don't understand what you're talking about. And you know what? That's true of you as well at times, isn't it? where you're pursuing the Word of God, you're coming to church, you're involved in ministry, you're staying up long hours, you're putting all of your heart and soul into this, and people say to you, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Hey, take the path of least resistance, why don't you? Take it easy. Take your ease. And of course, we're saying time is short. Our vapor-like life is here. It's gone. It's like a hand breath. (sighs) That's it. That's a hand breath. It's here and it's gone. We compare our lives with the totality of those who live 70 years, 80 years, maybe due to strength, that's it, it's gone, it's done, we have to maximize the time. We have to live that kind of life. And if it means going into the temple, if it means going into the house of God, if it means studying your Bible, if it means doing that at weird hours of the night, odd hours of the night, day or night, meditating on the Word of God day and night so that you can be careful to do all according to that which is written in it, then you do it. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what this proverb is saying. The work of wisdom far exceeds any other earthly pursuit because when you arrive there, all of the spiritual riches are available to you. Look at verse 17. I I know I always say I love this verse, which means I love them all, but I really love this one. Verse 17, I love those, this is wisdom talking, I love those who love me. Can it be more simply stated than that? I love wisdom because I know wisdom loves me. And if I pursue wisdom, then wisdom will pursue me. And if I take care of the wisdom that I know I must pursue, then wisdom will take care of me. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. And my yield, the result, the the pot at the end of the rainbow, the stuff at the end, the wages of your work, my yield is better than choicest silver. Far exceeds any other earthly pursuit. Look at chapter 16. This is far beyond pursuing the bucks, the cash, the stuff, the stash. Far beyond that. There's nothing to compare with this. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better is it to gain wisdom than gold? You say, how many times are you going to read these verses? Well, look, I'm just being repetitive because these are what the verses say. Apparently, we forget every now and then, and it goes back to the same thing. It's like that phrase, just trying to keep the main thing the main thing. Sixteen, sixteen. How much better is it to gain wisdom than gold and to gain understanding to be chosen above above silver? Gold and silver, gold and silver. Okay, uncle, I understand. I see it. Apparently, we need to learn. Verse 20. He who gives attention to the Word will find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Look at chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 15. And if you're not memorizing each of these at this present moment, at least write them down. Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold. Solomon says, look, I understand there's gold. Sure. It's a reality in our world. People love it. People want to pursue it. There is gold. And there is an abundance of jewels. I, I readily acknowledge that. But the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. The proverb, we don't even have to exposit it. It's just so obvious. It's just so obvious. The lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. And of course, the, the corollary question is this. Do I... Pursue knowledge and wisdom from God like I pursue jewels, gold, silver, precious things, money. Well, I know a lot of people that work really hard, work really hard. Whether it's physical labor or mental stress, pressure, sure, they work hard. But how many of us are willing to work hard with that which is more precious than the things we're pursuing? How about Proverbs 21, verse 20? You can tell what I've done. I've just read through all the Proverbs, picked out all these passages that tell us these things. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. You see what he's doing now? He's not just contrasting, by way of an analogy, the pursuit of wisdom as over against someone's pursuit of gold and silver. He's now taking this, this truth, this altruism, this idea that says there is precious treasure and oil, and he says, spiritually speaking, there's a precious treasure and there's precious oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. It's almost like, boy, there's just so much here. I could never exhaust the supply, and so I'm just going to take a little by little so I can just experience it bit by bit. And the foolish man just swallows it up immediately. Not precious treasure, not precious oil. All the stuff he's pursuing, he just gobbles it up and then it's gone. But I'm pursuing the preciousness of this, and there's this never-ending supply, and it is the dwelling of the wise, where wise people dwell. That's what Jesus did. He was dwelling in the wisdom place the place where wisdom was found look at proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 do not weary yourself to gain wealth well oh, that's a convicting verse isn't it do not weary yourself to gain wealth cease from your consideration of it which means your mind Thinking about it, considering it, pondering it, mentally apprehending, comprehending how I can make more of it. Cease! Don't weary yourself. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Why isn't that so true? You make a little bit of money, you think you have a bit of a reserve, and your car breaks down, or your house is flooded. And that's happened to us all in one week, this past week. And you say to yourself, look, I can't put my trust in that. If I put my trust in that, it makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. He even goes on, by the way, verse 6, don't eat the bread of a selfish man. He's always about his own in- interests, his own desires. Don't desire his delicacies. Uh, Don't do that because he's amassing all of this wealth and all of his bread and all of his money and all of his possessions. Don't desire it. Don't be envious of him. Why? For as he thinks within himself, so he is. That is, he's only thinking about his money. He's only thinking about that which satisfies himself. He's a selfish guy. And he says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. He's fooling you. He's manipulating you. In fact, he's probably only having you over to the house so he can feed you on the moment so that you can do something for him later on. Yeah, I'll have him over. I'll talk to him about my business. I don't look at people in the church as souls. I look at them as contacts. I'm going to find somebody, and I may even have him over to my house, and I want him to to partake of my delicacies. And I say to him, eat and drink, my good brother, but his heart is not with you. And you know what? Verse 8, you'll vomit up the morsel you've eaten. How graphic is that? And waste your compliments. In other words, beware. Work for wisdom, and when you work for wisdom, figure out who's really only all about manipulating you and avoid them. Work for wisdom. Work with all your heart. Why? Because it far exceeds any earthly pursuit. Number four, fourth principle. The work of wisdom must be the greatest effort of your life. The work of wisdom allows the worker to be exalted and honored. The work of wisdom far exceeds any other earthly pursuit. And number four, the work of wisdom brings eternal life. What? You mean to say that this is actually even tied into my Christianity? Yes. Your pursuit of wisdom is tied to the very issue of your eternal soul. Look back at Proverbs chapter eight. Proverbs chapter eight. This is this is great stuff. This is the word of God. This is this is what God says is eternal life. This is the way to pursue it. Proverbs chapter eight, verse thirty five. This is, again, wisdom talking as though it were a person. For he, this is someone who is searching, someone who's finding something. For he who finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor, grace, mercy from the Lord. You want to find eternal life? You want to be granted heaven? Pursue wisdom. And you know what wisdom is? It's the wisdom that Jesus Christ was that baby in a manger, but that Jesus Christ grew up to be that young boy who was bar mitzvah, who then lived that righteous life and died that righteous death as a sacrifice for sin, and that if you pursue that kind of wisdom, it is the very wisdom of God, and if you then repent of your sin and place your confidence and trust, your entire soul in the person of Christ, you've found the embodiment of all the treasuries of wisdom and knowledge, and you have just gained eternal life. Verse 36. This is the contrast. But he who sins against me, against wisdom, injures himself. All those who hate me love death. I don't care about wisdom. I don't care about pursuing wisdom. I'm going to pursue the stuff. It's like the man in the Gospels who said, Look, I have so much stuff. I have so much material possessions, so much in my barns. What I'm going to have to do is build bigger barns so I can put all my stuff in. His whole life was occupied with that. And God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you possess? In other words, you can't take it with you. Ever seen a purse carrying a U-Haul? No one can take it with them. That's why the Apostle Paul says, Look, I brought nothing into the world. I can take nothing out of it either. Wherewith I shall be what? Content. Content. If I have food, clothing... Jesus said, we're going to give you that, Matthew 6. Don't worry about anything else. You're going to have that. I promise you that. Anything else, including even tomorrow, is not promised to you. Be satisfied with that. Be content with that. He who sins against wisdom injures himself. All those who hate wisdom, they love death. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't want to have anything to do with wisdom. And what he says is, you love death. That means eternal death. You love wisdom. You love life. You want life. You want eternal life. Proverbs 8, 35, and 36. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, 18. And again, this is this analogy of working. And notice what it says here. Verse 18 of Proverbs 11. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. And what is that true reward? Eternal life. That's the ultimate. You'll be blessed in this life, maybe not always in the way you think you'll be blessed or that you should be blessed, but your ultimate blessing is that if you sow the seeds of righteousness, if you place your confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll receive a true reward. And that reward is life, eternal life. Verse 19, he who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. Might even be physical death, but certainly is eternal death. Spiritual death. Look at verse 27. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor, grace, mercy. But he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. Verse 31. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth how much more the wicked and the sinner see these contrasts good and evil life and death love and hate you know i i love the way the bible puts it so simply we can put things in such complicated jargon that we are deceiving ourselves and deceiving and confusing other people when the bible says here's the choice life death good evil love hate it's, it's all here, and it's here for the one who is working toward achieving this wisdom, and when you achieve it, you'll actually receive eternal life. Chapter 24. Chapter 24. 24, 24. Excuse me, uh, 14. Verse 14. Know that wisdom is thus for your souls. Oh, that's good. Know that wisdom is thus for your soul. If you find it, then there will be a what? Future. How clear can this be that there's going to be a future for you? If, if you know wisdom, it's for your soul, for your eternal soul. And if you find it, you're going to have a future. If you reject it, there'll be no future for you. There'll be no future for you. And if you find wisdom, he says at the end of verse 14, your hope will not be cut off. You lack hope? You have no certainty of your salvation? You have no complete and steadfast assurance that Jesus Christ is your hope? Pursue wisdom. Know the wisdom of the Word of God. Know it like the back of your hand, and God says to you, I will bless your life in the here and in the hereafter. I'll give you eternal life. Number five, and finally, the work of wisdom is more accessible to the one who understands its ways. The work of wisdom is more accessible to the one who understands its ways. Look at chapter 14 of Proverbs. I can't believe we we have come to the end of the work of wisdom. This is it, folks. This is the exclamation point. This is going all the way through chapter 2 and going through every other proverb that speaks of the work of wisdom. And this is the climax. This is what it is. This is what it says. The work of wisdom is more accessible to the one who understands its ways. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. You see, that's... That's true of people who act like they're seeking wisdom. But they're really a scoffer of wisdom, which means that they're really not searching for it, which means that when they think they've found it, they've found nothing. But knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. It's easy. It's easy if you work for it. It's going to come to you in droves because you're working for it, because you have the understanding, because it's accessible to you, because you have God's Spirit, and you're looking, you're not scoffing, you're finding because you're searching. Look at verse 8. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Verse 14, the backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. You're searching for God's wisdom, and you're going to be satisfied when you find it because it's accessible to you. You're not a fool. You're a good man. You're a righteous man. You're looking for it, and it will find you. Verse 18, the naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. Want to be a sensible person? Know God, understand His ways, and you'll be crowned with knowledge. You'll be exalted, you'll be honored. Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding, but in the heart of fools it is made no. It's manifested that he doesn't have understanding. Wisdom rests in the heart of one who does. It's more accessible to those who understand wisdom's way. Look at chapter 15, verse 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of the fools feeds on folly. Chapter 17, verse 16. (laughs) This is so funny, really. This is one of those humorous proverbs. Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? In other words, he he comes to wisdom's door and he knocks on it and says, I'm here to buy some of you. And wisdom laughs and mocks and says, you don't even know what the right price is. And he says, well, why is that? I've come to buy it. And he says, does wisdom, because you have no sense. C-E-N-T-S and S-E-N-S-E, right? Right? You don't have the right kind of money because we're not on the right spiritual level and you really don't even have the sense of what you're doing. Why come to me with a certain amount of sense, C-E-N-T-S, in your hand when you don't have any sense? You don't even know what price it is. You You don't even know how to buy me. But why do you come with a price in your hand because you're a fool and when you try to buy wisdom, you don't have any sense. Look at verse 24. Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding. In other words, wisdom is accessible to me because I understand it. I understand its ways. But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I think that means the eyes of a fool is just on the temporal, not on the eternal. It's just looking around for what he can see. He doesn't look above it. He doesn't see the God who's transcendent above the stuff of this world. And then lastly, Proverbs 18, verse 15. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. You see, it's accessible to you because you're prudent. It's accessible to you because your ear is in the process. It's accessible to you because your mind is engaged and you're going to acquire knowledge and you're going to seek knowledge and it's going to be given to you because it's accessible to the one who understands its ways. To the one who doesn't, it's like he goes to the house, knocks on the door, has a few cents in his hand and says, I'd like to buy some, please. And he's way off on the amount. Way off. Doesn't even have the sense to understand what it costs. Now, how do we wrap all this up? How do we wrap up about five or six or eight or however many messages on the work of wisdom? Here's how we wrap it up. Read. Read. Study. Put your head in the book. Make your eyes, your ears, your mouth attentive to wisdom. Probably not any better way other than to say, do it. Just do it. Take the wisdom that God has given us in His precious book and read it. You say, well, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a studier. doesn't matter. E- even if someone had never acquired the understanding of Greek and Hebrew, if someone had never gone to formal educational institutions to find out the deeper things of God, quote unquote, every person is endowed by God with a gift, the gift of understanding if they know Jesus Christ. Everybody. If you don't know as much as you need to know, find somebody who knows more than you do and tell them to teach you what you don't know. And if you know then something after that that's more than you used to know, find somebody who knows less than you and teach them what you know. Search, pursue, read, study, learn, grow, increase in wisdom, increase in stature, in favor with God and man. And I want to tell you a way to do that. Look at your Lord's Day bulletin. You see it there? Look in your Lord's Day bulletin. You've been wondering for about an hour now, why is this McShane's calendar for daily readings in here? It is for the very purpose of what we have just preached. We're starting a new year, aren't we? And this is a wonderful tool to read your Bible. They have readings that are all outlined for you throughout the entire Scripture, one for a family, one for in secret. Do this. And if you don't like this system, find another system. And if you don't want to read the Bible through in a year, read it in two years. you don't want to read it in two years, read it in three years. The point is not that there's any one better method than the other. The point is reading, studying, work at wisdom. And what you will find is that it is better than gold and the choicest of silver. It is better than an abundance of jewels. Nothing at all can compare with this. This is the opportunity for us, not just individually, not just as you grow as an individual Christian, but for us collectively as a church to be presented to Jesus Christ as His bride, chaste, respectful, a virgin, tender, pure, because we've done what He said, because we've acquired the wisdom that is found in the perfection of Jesus Christ. Read this. Use this. We, we went to the expense of copying these, folding them, and somebody spent several hours stuffing them into the Lord's Day bulletin for you. This is a wonderful work. This is this is a work in order for you to do more work. Learn from this. Grow from this. Work at wisdom. From Proverbs 2 and all of these other Proverbs, write them down, study them, look at them, meditate upon them, and say to yourself, do I work at wisdom? Do I work hard at wisdom? Do I pound the pavement of the Word of God with a tireless effort? And if you do, you'll have an abundance that's far among anything that this life can bring. Oh, the preciousness of the dwelling of the wise when they have the wisdom of God's Word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, please forgive me when I don't avail myself of your word as I must, as I ought, as I should. Please give me the the time and the effort as a gift from your hand, as a motivation, as a desire to work. And when I work, I receive so much. I can fight sin, I can resist temptation, I can say yes to your righteousness, I can do good deeds, I can serve one another, I can give counsel and wisdom and understanding to those who need it. I can disciple and train and mentor and I can learn from those, just like Jesus, who both listen to them and ask them questions. Oh, Father, may we as a people work. And not just for the sake of working, not just for the sake of gaining knowledge, but for the sake of turning that knowledge into obedience, into service and ministry, the joyful task of giving people the most precious commodity on this earth. May it be so. And may we thank you for the energy through your spirit for the carrying out of this task, this most noble task of all. Thank you for the spiritual booty, the riches that your word affords to us. And we say thank you. In Christ's name, amen.